and Martha were married for a long, long time. And Smitty always listened to what Martha told him to do, like a good husband. <laughs> and so every year they would go to the, fa the fair, the state fair, and every year Smitty would want to go on the helicopter ride. But every year, Martha would say, no, Smitty, you're not going on the helicopter ride because it costs $25. And $25 is $25. So he never got to go on the helicopter ride. Well, one year, they went to the fair, and he put his foot down. And he said, I am going on the helicopter ride. Martha, I'm 71 years old, and if I want to go on the helicopter ride, I will. Well... The, the pilot overheard what was happening, the argument that was taking place between the husband and wife. So the pilot came over and he said, listen, how about I make you a deal? I will take you on the helicopter ride, both of you. And if there is complete silence, if you don't make a sound, then you don't have to pay at the end of the ride. So they agreed. They went on the helicopter ride. So the pilot took them up and he was going fast and doing all these loops and turns and everything, but still in the back, he didn't hear a shriek. Well, he was intrigued, no sound at all. So finally, he lands the helicopter and turns to the back and says, how is it that you didn't say a word? He said, well, I was, Smitty said, well, I was tempted to say something when Martha fell out, but he said, but $25 is $25. Well, the title of my message this morning is simply Reminders from the Lord. And as I was studying this week and looking through the scriptures, uh, one scripture that kept coming to mind, and, and this is probably because it's one of my favorite scriptures, I have so many, but it's one of the favorite, is found in Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And it's, it's simple and it's short, but yet it is so profound. And so as we read this one verse, I'm just going to ask you one last time if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. If you need to use your index, your table of contents, that's okay. It's in the Old Testament. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And it simply says this, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much that you love us so much. And we thank you that you have given us your word. And indeed, this morning, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you. And we pray that you would speak and you would help us to be obedient as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, feel free to be seated. This is a short verse, but yet it is so profound. 
It is so simple, yet it's filled with so much truth. And in the scriptures, the Bible talks about so many different things. But some of my favorite ones are scripture verses that reveal who God is and his love towards us and his character. And I just love talking about God's character, about who he truly is. And this scripture verse talks about so many. And so this morning, I simply just want to focus on five things that this scripture verse comes that talks about and reminds us of. And the first one is this. Number one, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. It tells us right there that the Lord, your God, is with you. That he is with you. And we already know this, right? We know and we hear all the time, God is with us. That God is on our side. That God is with us. But I tell you that it is so important for us as Christians to remind ourselves of this, to constantly remind ourselves that God is with us. Why? Because when we go through the difficult circumstances in life, when we go through the trying times, then we can stand firm on that promise because we have already ingrained it into our minds to know that, yes, I am going through a difficult time, but God is with me. Yes, I am facing this situation. Yes, things may not be in my favor right now, but God is with me. No matter what we go through, God is there. He promises that he will not leave us or forsake us. He promises that I am with you to the end. He promises that when you go through the darkest valley in your life, that he is standing right there with you. When you lose your job, he is there. When you experience the death of a loved one, he is there. When you go through marriage issues or family issues, God is there. When you're going through a financial struggle, God is there. When you're having your children rebel against you, God is there. When you're told by the doctor that you've been diagnosed with an illness, God is there. You see, no matter what we go through, he is still there. No matter where we go, he is right there. And I believe the psalmist in 139 understood this. He understood that God is there. For he said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He is right there with us no matter what we go through and he tells us over and over again that I am with you you see from the very beginning God's presence has been with his people for the Israelites God's presence was with them in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night God's presence was with them when they care when they went through and in the temple in the ark of the covenant it symbolized God's presence then in the new testament we see Jesus, who is the manifestation of God in flesh, came and his presence was with his people. When Jesus left, he gave us and he sent us the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence now living in us. God is present 
and he is with you. He is with you, and so remind yourself, the same way that he was with the Israelites when they crossed the Red Sea, God is with you. The same way he was with the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, God is with you. The same way that he was with the Israelites as they marched around the walls of Jericho, God is with you. The same way that his hand of protection was on his people all throughout, God is with you. He was with Daniel in the lion's den, and he is with you. He was with Jonah in the fish of the belly of the whale, and he is with you. He is with, was with Paul and Silas in prison, and he is with you. He was with John on the island of Patmos, and he is with you. Remind yourself of that, that God is is with me, that God promises that he will always be there no matter what. Isaiah chapter 43, verses one to three, the Lord who created you says this, do not be afraid, I will save you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through deep waters, I will be with you. Your troubles will not overwhelm you. When you pass through fire, you will not be burned. The hard trials that come will not hurt you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who saves you. And that scripture I love so much because it reminds us that God is with us. And notice he says this, when you pass through the water, I will be there. When you go through the fire, I will be there. He doesn't say if you pass through the water. He doesn't say if you go through the fire. He says when, because we know that trials and tribulations will come our way. And so when they do come our way, he wants to remind us that when you go through that, I will protect you. Sometimes we need to go through the fire. He doesn't always rescue us from it, but he walks with us through it. And when we go through it, he says, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. When we go through those trying times, he says, it will not overwhelm you. The flood will not overwhelm you for I am with you. Remind yourself of that that God himself is with you. He longs to have a relationship with you and he says, I am with you. The second thing that this scripture reminds us of is that the Lord is mighty to save. The Lord is mighty to save. What exactly does that mean? It means that God alone is the one who is able to forgive us of our sins, to make us right with him and give us the gift of eternal life. He is the only one who is able to do that. You see, salvation is found in no one else. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us this. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Salvation is not from anyone else but from God and God alone. He is the only one who is able to save us. He is the only one who is able to give us eternal life. And you know, it 
it causes such burden in my heart when people talk about different paths to God. When people say, well, I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person, so I'm going to go to heaven. Or when people have this understanding, this warped understanding of who God is and that God is just sitting there waiting to judge them and waiting for them to mess up and to make a mistake. When God says, I love you so much that I know you can't do it on your own, that's why I sent my son to die for you. That's why I did what I did so that you could have the opportunity to be redeemed, so that you could be saved and have a life eternity with me. That's what he says. That's what he says because he knows we are not able to save ourselves for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life and we find eternal life in him. We find all that we need in him and in him alone. God alone is mighty to save. He is able to save us and Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way that we have access to God. It's through the son that we have access to the father. And we need to trust in Jesus in order to have salvation and that eternal life. You know, recently, well, not recently, but for a few years now, and it's been on my heart to pray for and to continue to, to have a burden for people who are lost, for, for non-believers, and not just people I know, but for people in, gener in general. Because when I think of eternity and how the life that we live on earth is not even a blink of an eye in comparison to eternity, eternity. It causes me to fall in such amazement to think that there is a God who loves me, who will keep me for eternity. But then on the other side of it, those who don't know him will be separated from him for eternity. And the life that we live now, the choices that we make now affect eternity. And it is so important that we trust in Jesus. And I was reminded this week, someone said, um, they're a Christian. And I said, well, do you go to a church? Because, you know, a pastor's always asking, so do you go to a church? What church do you go to? And they said, you know, Lisa, just because you go to church doesn't make you Christian. And I said, you're right. It's true. Just because you go to church doesn't make you Christian. And there are a lot of people who go to church, and I'm gonna be real right now. There's a lot of people who go to church but don't have a relationship with God. And that worries me, and that scares me because I wanna spend eternity with my brothers and sisters. I want everyone to be there. And when we sing a song like when we all get to heaven, can we actually sing that knowing that we all will get to heaven? because we need to make that decision to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And God has challenged me to do this and I'm gonna put that challenge out and if you would like to, to accept that challenge and, and do it with me, but once a week, I'm praying and fasting for non-believers. And that doesn't have to be a whole day, it can just be a meal. But I wanna challenge you to write down maybe one or two names and once a week, just one meal, 
Maybe, you know, start with that if you're not used to fasting. But fast and pray for them. Pray that God would open up their eyes. Pray that they would have a realization and an encounter with God. Pray that God would break their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Pray for that. Because I'm sure, like me, you want to see your family members. You want to see your friends in heaven. And it is only through Jesus Christ that they are saved. And we need to have a relationship with him. But how good it is to know that God is mighty to save. That he is faithful. That he is able. And that he alone can do it. And so God alone can do that. So if you would, please join me on that once a week. And let me know if you are doing that. And I want to pray. Pray for you as well, and as you minister to them and speak to them, that, um, that God would give you the right words to say as you do that. The third thing that comes out of this passage of scripture is the Lord takes great delight in you. The Lord takes great delight in you. I looked up the definition of delight, and it says, to delight in something or to delight in doing something is to get a lot of pleasure or enjoyment from it. To do something that you delight in, you get a lot of enjoyment or pleasure in it. And I don't know, parents, if you have ever just looked at your child, especially when they're young, and you say, wow, I just love them so much. You know, they may not say all the right things or do all the right things, but they're funny and some of the things they do, and you're just like, wow, I made that. Wow, I just, you look and you just have such enjoyment. I know my mother and fathers feel that every time they see me. So, you know, I know that that happens. <laughs> But have you ever just done that? You're like, wow. You know, wow. It's okay, mom, I got you. I, under I know, I understand. <laughs> but isn't it amazing to know that God feels that about us? That when he looks at us as his children, as his creation, he takes great delight in us. That he looks at it and he's like, wow. Wow, I just love them. Wow, they mess up. They don't always say the right things. They don't always do the right things, but I just love them. I just take such great delight that he actually just enjoys watching us. He takes such great enjoyment and pleasure to know that God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, takes great delight in us is something that we should be humbled by. God says in Psalm 149, verse 4, For the Lord takes great delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. He delights in us. And I want you to know this. Some of you really need to be reminded of this, that you are not a failure in God's eyes, that you are not a failure in God's eyes, that he loves you, that you are not a mistake, that you were intentionally made, that because God longed to have a relationship with you, you are here today. There are some people who grow up feeling that they are worthless, feeling that they're a mistake, that they're a burden, that their parents didn't want them, that nobody loves them or cares for them, that there's nothing that they're gonna amount to in life. But I tell you this today, that God says, I take great delight in you, that I love you, that I care about you, that I enjoy you, and I just want a relationship with you. Know that God takes great delight in you. The fourth thing 
is that the Lord will calm you with his love. The Lord will calm you with his love. If you've ever seen a child that's just crying and that's upset, and you go and you pick up that child and you soothe that child and you tell him or her it's going to be okay and you just hold them close, they start to release and calm down and know that it's going to be okay because mom or dad or family member is here and everything is going to be okay. And it's a picture that I get when I read that of God just comforting his people, of God just loving on us and telling us that it's okay. I love you. It's going to be okay. I'm here for you. Scripture says that perfect love drives out fear, that we don't have to fear because God calms us with his love. Do you realize how much God loves you? Do you really realize how much God loves you? You see, we sing songs about God's love. We even sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, the Bible tells us, we know Jesus loves me. But do you realize how much he really loves you? You see, none of us actually realize how much God loves us. And I know that because God's love is so much greater than our minds, our human minds will ever be able to comprehend in this life. God's love goes so deep and so wide. God's love does not change. It is untarnishable. It is unchangeable. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. He just loves us with an everlasting love. He loves us so much that God loves us. Listen to this. God can love us more in a moment than anyone could in a lifetime. That is the kind of love that God has for us. A love that is so great. A love that brought him down out of heaven to step down into darkness. A love that held him on the cross when he was being spat on, when he was being tortured, when he was being uh, made fun of, when he was experiencing the worst kind of pain possible. That love held him on the cross. The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. And I pray, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may have power together with all the saints to comprehend the length and width and height and depth of his love. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To know how wide and how high and how deep is the love of God. I pray, as the Apostle Paul prayed, that you would experience that love. That you would experience how deep God's love is for you. And when I read that, every time I read that, the ocean comes to mind. When we think about how big and how wide and how deep the ocean is. And if you compare God's love to the ocean... It puts into perspective that he loves us even more. Watch this video. Just how deep does the ocean go? If you took the highest point on land and submerged it, you would still have more than a mile between you and the deepest point in the oceans. The oceans harbor 99% of all living space on Earth. 
and have enough water to fill a bathtub that's 685 miles long on each side. For scale, here's a human, and here's a blue whale, the largest animal on Earth. Blue whales usually hunt at depths of around 330 feet within the well-lit zone of the ocean. Deeper down, at 700 feet, the USS Triton became the first submarine to circumnavigate the Earth in 1960. At 831 feet, we reached the deepest free dive in recorded history. Down here, the pressure is 26 times greater than at the surface, which would crush most human lungs. But whales manage it, diving to a max depth of 1,640 feet where they hunt giant squid. At 2,400 feet, we reach the danger zone for modern nuclear attack submarines. Any deeper, and the submarine's hull would implode. 2,722 feet down is where the tip of the world's tallest building, the Burj Khalifa, would reach. A little farther, at 3,280 feet, we're deep enough that sunlight can't reach us. We've now entered the midnight zone. Many animals down here can't see, like these eyeless shrimp at 7,500 feet who thrive near scalding, hot underwater volcanoes. At this depth, temperatures are just a few degrees above freezing, but the waters around hydrothermal vents can heat up to 800 degrees Fahrenheit. 9,816 feet is the deepest any mammal has been recorded swimming, the cuvier beaked whale. But not even the cuvier beaked whale could explore the RMS Titanic, which rests at a staggering depth of 12,500 feet. The pressure is now 378 times greater than at the surface. Yet you can still find sea life, like the fangtooth, hagfish, and Dumbo octopus, the deepest living octopus on Earth. At 20,000 feet is the Hadal Zone, an area designated for the ocean's deepest trenches, like the Mariana Trench. If you tipped Mount Everest into the Mariana Trench, its summit would reach down to 29,029 feet. That still doesn't compare to the two deepest crewed missions in history. In 2012, director James Cameron descended to 35,756 feet for the Deep Sea Challenger mission. But Cameron didn't quite break the record, which was set by oceanographer Jacques Picard and Lieutenant Don Walsh in 1960. Picard and Walsh descended to the lowest point on Earth, Challenger Deep, at a record 35,797 feet below the surface. Since then, scientists have sent half a dozen unmanned submersibles to explore Challenger Deep, including Keiko, which collected over 350 species off the seafloor between 1995 and 2003. But scientists estimate there are potentially thousands of marine species we have yet to discover. Humans have explored an estimated 5 to 10% of Earth's oceans. We've only just begun to understand the deep, dark world that flows beneath us. So when we talk about God's love, it goes deeper than the deepest ocean. God's love is so amazing that we truly will never be able to understand it, but may we embrace it, may we receive it. And the only way that we will ever be able to start understanding is if we experience it for ourselves. God's love is deeper than the ocean. The fifth thing and the final thing I wanna bring out from this passage of scripture is that the Lord rejoices over you. The Lord rejoices over you. When we talk about delight, it's different. To delight in something is to enjoy it. 
but to rejoice over something is to celebrate it. When there's something exciting happening in your life, not only do you want to tell people about it, but you want to celebrate it. When you get engaged or you get married, when you get that job promotion or that new job, when you finally pass that exam or finish school, when you're expecting your first child or, or when wonderful things happen, you not only want to tell people, but you want to celebrate the fact that it's happening. And that's what God does. He rejoices over us. He literally celebrates us. He celebrates that we are his creation, that we are his child. And when we come to faith in him, there is amazing celebration happening in heaven when a sinner repents and is coming home. In, in, in this way, it says, singing represents God's joy. The Hebrew phrase is translated, he will rejoice over you with singing. But it can also be translated literally as, he rejoices over you with a shout of joy. That can also mean the same thing, that he rejoices over you with singing or with a shout of joy, that God rejoices that you are his, that you are his creation and that he loves you. And these are just some of the reminders that I want to bring to mind as we read this passage of scripture. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Let us pray. Father, indeed, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are our God and that you are always present with us. You are our ever-present help in times of need, that we can look to you in the good times and in the difficult times, knowing that you are still in control. We thank you, Father, for the assurance that you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you, God, that you are so powerful, that you are mighty to save. We pray for our lost loved ones, that they would come to know you. We pray, Lord, that you would help encounter them so that they would have a relationship with you. I pray, Lord, for those even here this morning who have not fully trusted in you and put their faith and trust in you, that they would choose to do so, so that they would truly experience the love and the life that you have in store for them. Lord, we thank you that you take great delight in us, that your love calms us and that we can look to you and that you rejoice over us as your creation. And so, Father, may you continue to bless your people. May you continue to help us as we trust in you, to look to you, to be obedient. And we pray, Father, that you would come and that you would have thine own will, that your will would be done in our lives, in everything that we say and in everything that we do in your powerful name we pray amen amen